If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Thursday, May 9th, 2019, which is just after poor Ugly Doll movie crashed and burned. Did you go see the Ugly Doll movie, Jim? You know, I didn't, and I feel bad about this because... <laughs> I thought that the ads looked good, and more to the point that if you look at the credits of this thing, I mean, story by Robert Rodriguez, directed by Kelly Asbury, who you know you and I talked about last show. He's a great guy. Yeah, He's a great guy. I know. I always love talk with him. Strong voice cast: um, Claire, Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Janelle Moana, Pitbull, Blake Sheldon, Wake, uh, Wanda Sykes, and, and Gabriel Iglesias. A toy franchise has been around since February of. Of 2001. So, Mm -hmm. in theory, you put all of those elements on the table. STKX Entertainment, you know, kept a tight leash on the budget, only $45 million. Yeah. And there were were insane promotional partners, too. I don't know if you saw McDonald's and Walmart and, you know, because they actually bought the entire Ugly Dolls brand before they made the movie. Did they really? Yeah, there's a there's already been a, a animated series announced for Amazon. Mm-hmm. This is going to slow things down in a lot of ways, and I wonder, I wonder if all that stuff that they've already sort of put out there is going to keep going because this is a genuinely bad showing. I think. Yeah, over the entire weekend, eight point five million, and on on Monday alone, just after its second weekend in theaters, Avengers Endgame did ten million. <laughs> Wow. The other film that came out this past weekend, the Seth Rogen uh, romantic comedy Longshot, only did $9.5 million. So yeah. was this just Endgame sucking up all the box office? Because it, what, it did $147 million in its second weekend. I mean, it seems like the only thing anybody can talk about still. Mm-hmm. And I haven't even gotten to see it again because it, the shows are still sold out all over town. So <laughs> I wonder if Disney is worried about it sucking up the oxygen for aladdin aladdin Mm. is coming out in two weeks and there is zero buzz for aladdin is there really i I mean have you heard anyone talking about it the way you and i watch how disney does promotion is different than normal people this monday they had will smith on good morning america which means of course 45 minutes later he's up the street on you know live with kelly and ryan and he finishes out his day by doing the tonight show with jimmy fallon and then two days after that he's in paris where they're they're doing have you you heard what they're doing the the magic carpet world tour oh of course jim who hasn't heard about the magic carpet (laughs) world tour you know but if you've seen the line the studio is putting out, that they're saying that their projections show that Aladdin, the live-action reboot of Aladdin, they expect it to do seventy to ninety million dollars over its opening weekend, and you know that. Well, hey, I have to put an asterisk there. Mm-hmm. It is Memorial Day weekend, so they're include. Mm-hmm. That's the five-day total. They're saying okay. ninety million. So okay, but here, here's the interesting thing. Jump back to March of 2017 when. The live-action Beauty and the Beast comes out. That made 
$174 million over its opening weekend. Whenever you talk about the, the second golden age of Disney animation, it's, you know, it's always Mermaid, you know, Beast, uh, you know, Aladdin, you know, virtually in lockstep and then capped off with Lion King. How do you account for business falling off by maybe $100 million in yeah. just two years' time? W what's that about? I mean, maybe they went back to the well too many times. I mean, mm. the other thing is that the cast is all unknowns besides Will Smith. Oh. I really appreciate that they went out of their way to be culturally mm -hmm. specific mm -hmm. and mindful. But I think it's also going to hurt the bottom line just because nobody knows who these actors are besides Will Smith. And obviously the introduction to the genie was met with less than enthusiastic uh, comments from people. But, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I think that there might just be some fatigue. I mean, Dumbo didn't do what they wanted it to. This is true. But again, when you... You have when you have an end game blotting out the sun, it's like, what Dumbo? Hey, look, yeah. look at the oh my god. Right. Secondarily here though, this has been a rough year for animation. I mean, if you think about how How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World and the Lego movie two, the second part didn't do what people expected. Is this And those are great movies too. Mm-hmm. When Ugly Dolls finally shows up on TBS in like a year, I will watch it. <laughs> and I will probably enjoy it, but it just, I just, I look at that number and it's like, it just kind of breaks my heart. Well, and I think STX should be worried too, because this was their first animated feature. And you know what their next one is? Oh, God. Playmobil right. the movie, which they right. got the domestic rights to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I thought was a good looking trailer. But... I did too. I mean, and it's opening Annecy, which is a good sign. So we mm. should be hearing more from that soon, I guess. Okay. But. All right, so does this make you, given what's happened animation-wise, does this make you concerned at all at all for Toy Story 4? Based on the footage I saw, mm -hmm. I could not be more excited for Toy Story 4. Whether or not people are going to go see it, I think that Toy Story 4 is really, it's sort of the rare thing because it is, it is a contemporary of Aladdin, mm -hmm. really. And they've just kept the, the brand alive so well ever since. So I think it'll be okay. Okay, well, speaking of which, though, the art of book for Toy Story 4 literally came out Tuesday. Did you already go get it? Of course I went and got it. I, okay. I, I have the entire run of Chronicle books when it comes to the Pixar films. And you look at this book, it's, it has an introduction by director Josh Cooley. It has a foreword by Annie Potts. Who wrote the damn thing? The last time this, they've had an author was The Art of Brave. So... I hope that someone is lucky enough to write one of these again and get that credit. Me too. Me too. Okay. Now, totally changing <laughs> the subject here. Well, we were talking just a moment ago about uh, Janelle, who voices the character of Mandy in Ugly Dolls. But she's also doing voice work for the live-action version of Disney's Lady and the Tramp, which... Um, was shot down in Savannah last fall and is premiering on, on Disney Plus, uh, the subscription service that goes live on November 12th. Mm -hmm. She's voicing Peg. Okay. She's joining Tessa Thompson, who's voicing Lady, and Justin Thoreau, who's voicing Tramp. By the way, they got Sam Elliott to do Trusty, which I think that's... That, that, that's great. Yeah. That's genius voice casting right there. Yeah. But voicing Peg isn't going to be the only thing that Janelle does. She's actually been hired to produce two new songs for this Disney Plus production, and w one of which is supposed to be 
uh, supposed to reinvent the Siamese cat song, uh, a.k.a. We Are Siamese, if you please. Right. Peggy Lee not only wrote for the original hand-drawn version of this movie, which opened in the summer of 55, just a week or so before Disneyland, I get why Disney might want to revisit, you know, this material with, with the live-action version of Lady and the Tramp. I mean, it, I kind of see the parallels between the documentary, the, you know, The Trouble with a Poo, mm-hmm. that certain mem- members of the community feel like they're not re- represented or, or, or the way that they're represented isn't fair. But what's your take on this? Well, I, it's interesting that they're revisiting the song. I thought they would just sort of cut it out. When I was at Disney, that was like one of the number one guardrails when talking about Lady and the Tramp. I was like, you do not go near that song. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, I mean, it was that. Yeah, they would give us periodically things like, don't talk about the crows and Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Don't talk, you know, so that was definitely one of the kind of like hot button topics. But it, yeah, I just don't know why. To me, it's like, why revisit it? Why mm-hmm. not just sort of like shed it and move on? And there are plenty of other cats and dogs, you mm-hmm. know, that they could focus songs on. It's also interesting that Janelle Monáe is not uh, does not have an Asian American background. Mm-hmm. So, maybe she's not the best person to revisit this song, but I mean, I'm interested to hear what she has to say mm-hmm. and what the, what the song will sound like. She's a great artist, but yeah, I really I'm I'm very curious. Same thing here. Well, while we're talking movies, you know, what was it? Just yesterday out ahead of No, no, this was Tuesday. Out ahead of the uh, Disney quarterly earnings call, the studio put out this ridiculous list of release dates. I mean, I get that this is what studios do now. You plant the flag on a date. But Avatar 5, you know, December 2027? Yeah. What about the alternating Avatar Star Wars holidays? That's kind of a genius idea, I thought. I have to admit, and more to the point, it makes sure that each of Disney's 800-pound gorillas gets love, and not to mention that incredibly lucrative holiday week around Christmas when the kids are home and you can do buku box office. But I bet that when you and I looked at the schedule, we, we immediately saw... Poor guys at Blue Sky. Yeah. This is the fourth time now that Spies in Disguise has had its release date changed. Yeah. And then to add insult to injury, how, you know, it's really great when you open a Star Wars film around the holiday season because it makes a lot of money. And so here we have Rise of Skywalker opening December 20th. And then just five days later, here comes Spies in Disguise into theaters. And is this going to be Ugly Dolls 2? Well, it, it, you know, the thing it reminded me of is when Disney opened the wonderful Winnie the Pooh 2011 movie mm-hmm. against the last Harry Potter movie. Oh. It was like, geez. That's what John Lasseter used as the excuse to the effect of, well, obviously there isn't an audience out there for hand-drawn. And so we right. don't do these anymore. Beautiful movie, though. Beautiful movie. It is. It is a beautiful great, movie. Great. You know, we, we like to rally behind Jim Cummings. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I I'm have kidding. to. Oh, by the way, you know, how would you like to be the person uh, who, who's working on Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run right about now with the Hondo AA figure? Oh, my God. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't um, imagine what they're going through. I, but we did we, we did see some there were some pluses to this schedule namely that the Bob's Burgers movie 
<clears throat> is coming out. And and then we, we also have Nimona. I, I think we, we talked uh, about that on a previous show, you know, based on the, the graphic novel and the online strip. It you know, looks really promising. Yeah, that's another blue sky. Yeah, and, and then... then- uh, tell them about your concerns. Well, I mean, there are two movies out next year, and there are two movies out in 2022. Mm-hmm. And historically, if there are two Walt Disney Animation Studios or two Pixar movies out in the same year, mm-hmm. the second movie always does half the box office of the first one. Mm-hmm. So we saw this when Inside Out and Good Dinosaur were open in the same year, mm-hmm. and also when Zootopia and Moana came out in the same year. And people think of Moana as this big hit, mm-hmm. and it's a beloved movie for obvious reasons because it's mm. amazing. Yep. But it made less money domestically than Sing, the Illumination mm. movie. It's very interesting how how time has kind of distorted that. But, I mean, hopefully these are good movies. None of the Pixar movies besides Onward have been named, and none of the Walt Disney Animation Studios movies that were on the calendar have been named. So that's interesting. I hope we... I mean, I'm sure after D23, we'll get some clarification on that. Yes. Speaking of the the Disney movies, and you're right, you know we've got dates for uh, 2020, 2021, and and they're all November 25th, November 24th, November 23rd. They're that you know that Wednesday for Thanksgiving, so you get that five day chunk of juicy, juicy family box office, and it's intriguing in much the same way as as you were pointing out between the Star Wars and the Avatar movies, sort of swapping the Christmas release date back. And forth. And if you look back o- over the last nine or ten years of releases, Wreck It Ralph was released in early November, but Frozen came out in almost the exact same date. You know, rather than the 25th, it came out on the November 27th. And same thing with Moana, November 23rd. Uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet just last year was November 21st. And uh, Frozen 2, that's planted the flag on November 2nd. And by the way, you, you had a little bit of news in regard to Frozen 2? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lee tweeted out earlier this week that there was a very important test screening going on. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they've kind of solidified the story. You and I have both heard that this has not been the easiest movie to get together, but it potentially could be the most lucrative, I think. I think we are really looking at maybe like the biggest animated movie ever when this thing comes out. Wow. No, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Wow. No pressure. Okay. Yeah. You're on the West Coast. You'll probably get to see this before I do. But <laughs> Oh, speaking of seeing things before I do, the DuckTales programming event that, that we talked about on, on the last show, where, where, where the Disney Channel showing like eight episodes in like 11 days, right? You, yeah, it's so exciting. Now, you got yeah. to, to catch the first one I of I saw these. the first one. Yeah, the, the treasure of the found lamp. Mm-hmm. And I can say that it is sort of a continuation of the animated film from oh, the nineties. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And but it's also it also brings in so many of the aspects of mm-hmm. the new Ducktales that you and I love so much. Mm-hmm. The character, you know, the Storkules characters, mm-hmm. the Butler, the Ghost Butler, all that stuff. It is an awesome episode, and if that is sort of a a harbinger of things to come with the rest of them, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna be very happy. Okay, Especially well, you and I. I think you and I are the biggest DuckTales fans in the world. <laughs> it's Yes, it is a little sad. I admit. Yes. Okay. All right. I've got a DVR. I'll check it out as soon as we get done here. Well, I, I didn't get to do, see that, but I did 
just get a copy in the mail of the spring catalog, uh, the catalog for the spring 2019 animation art auction that SR Laboratories, they're the folks out in West uh, West Lake Village in California. They they do two auctions a year. The, this year's auction runs May 20th through the 21st, and this is Ron Stark, who's a, he handles this thing. He's a master of animation restoration, and he always gets the most amazing pieces. There's stuff in this that goes all the way back to Steamboat Willie. And really? Just throwing up a random page here, and I've got Cavassier stuff for Snow White and and things that never should have... You know, in fact, that's half the fun of when Ron puts together a catalog is it's all of this art that never should have walked out of the building but did. I mean, for example, he's got in here title cards for Dumbo. Right. <laughs> and not just title cards. He's got the official title card that Disney painted when they were trying to decide whether or not the movie just went out under the name Dumbo or Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Because it's 1941. World War II is about to happen. Hitler. People are distracted. And it's like, wait a minute. Which of these movies has a flying elephant in it? Oh, that one, Dumbo. Okay. Glad that the title you know, cleared that up for me. But definitely check that out, folks. Likewise, last week we mentioned I got a galley for Disney Pencils, Pens, and Brushes, The Great Girl's Guide to Disney Animation. Lovely uh, a picture book in it. It turns out there's a companion book, Drew. It's called Mary Blair's Unique Flair. And the subtitle of the book is The Girl Who Became One of the Disney Legends. It's written by Amy Noveski. And illustrated by Brittany Lee, but illustrated doesn't even begin to describe what Brittany has done in a really sweet, funny nod to how Mary worked. Every one of the illustrations in this book is made out of cut paper. Oh, my God. And they are just, I mean, hell, you could hang individual pages of this book on a wall. They're that handsome. And you have to get it alone because in the section that talks about a small world, Britney's actually done a paper Walt Disney. Really? Yeah, right down to the bad gray suit from the 1960s. I mean, it's just <laughs> definitely worth checking out. She's amazing. She's like one of the best artists at Disney right now. She's so great. I totally agree. Now, obviously, Mindy Johnson wrote the text for The Great Girl's Guide to Disney Animation, of course. Mindy's also the woman who wrote that amazing history of the ink and paint department. And she's also pretty much the power behind the, the ink and paint thing, uh, the, the series of documentaries that's going to be on Disney Plus, right? Or, yeah, yeah, that's mm. going to be incredible. I cannot mm. wait. I'm wondering, though, given the release date for both of these books, by the way, is, is August 13th, 2019. And given that the D23 Expo is on August 23rd, I just have to assume there's a reason they're going out into the marketplace at this point. And I now have to wonder... What, what is your reasoning behind this? Well, again, they haven't announced any of the programming yet for this year's D23 Expo. And Disney Plus launches in November. I know you're preaching to the choir when it comes to the fans who turn out for the D23 Expo. Of course, these people are going to sign up for the subscription service. These people, this those are our people, Jim. First of all, our people, our, our people, people are going to sign up for this thing. But wouldn't this be a great way to get people to evangelize 
for say the ink and paint limited series or Leslie Iwerks Imagineering thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I remember at the last D23 at one of the panels, they actually ran like two or three minutes of her documentary. And it was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see this. But that documentary went from being a movie into a uh, series, which is really cool. Yeah. That it's exactly. So I have to wonder if there's sort of a united front, you know, sort of moving in lockstep that first the movies hit and, you know, or first these, these books hit. And then, you know, you go to the U23 Expo and it's like, oh, look, there's a signing. And, oh, yeah. hey, we're doing a screening. And then everybody goes home and evangelizes and convinces their friends, you really need to spend $6.99 a month for Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And speaking of spending, I couldn't do it, Drew. I went, when Disney got into pin trading, it just... It was so obviously the heroin business plan. You know, oh, like, yeah. You know, oh, the, the first one is free, Mr. Hill. Yeah, I partake, you know, I, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a social pen trader. You know, I'm not I'm not a hardcore guy, although I did just get a really cool Star Tours logo, just the triangular logo from like, um. you know, the early 2000s. But it was a very good price. And, uh, you know, I had to I had to snap that up. But. I've got some good pens, though. Not that I actually go to to trade or anything, but, you know, I have some good ones. Some of the design work is just so amazing. It's hard not to buy them, but I figure if I start down that road, I just won't stop. And I'm bringing this up because at both Walt Disney World and the Disneyland Resort, they're bringing back pin trading for one night. At Disneyland, it's going to be held inside of the Star Wars Launch Bay from 7 to 11 p.m. The Walt Disney World version is going to be held at the Coronado Springs Resort in Ballroom H. Were we in Ballroom H? Probably. You know yeah. that that's where also where the, the Toy Story junket is going to be at Coronado Springs. Oh, God. Well, there's yeah. a surprise. But yeah, the Coronado Springs version, they're going to be pin trading there from 5 to 9 p.m. When you say official pin trading, is that... So there are no... So these events aren't happening regularly. The people you see at Disneyland with the binders, those are all just private <laughs> citizens. Is that, is that... you got to remember back in the day, I mean, for example, you'd go into Frontierland and it was like, you know, you'd have 20 or 30 people sitting there. Oh, they're still there, Jim. They're still they're there. still there. Yes, yes. I thought st- that's weird because Disney took away the barrels and the chairs that they was. Yeah. Wherever there's a bench, there's a guy with a giant binder, oh, black geez. binder of pins. Yeah, it's crazy. You I, know where else they do it now is the, um, you know where the Paradise Grill is in DCA? Yeah. That's a big pin trading hub. Did not know this. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. I'm, I'm learning stuff tonight, folks. <laughs> well, again, we were talking money, monetary fees. To get into the pin trading event at Disneyland is $20 a person. To get into the pin trading event at Walt Disney World is $15 a person. And I guess you get a snack. But the, the big deal is that if you pay the admission fee, you have the opportunity to pre-purchase select pins from the up collection, which oh, Jesus. Well, it, it's the, uh, the opportunity. Oh, thank you so much <laughs> for gracing us. Well, all right. It's a little mercenary. Yes. But on the other hand, if you actually look at the pins that are offered, they're these, they've been created to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Pixar's up and they are beautiful. They've done a number of them with 
Carl and Ellie from the early days of their marriage. And there's one, a giant one of them in their house where they're sitting in their very distinctive personality chairs. And there's one where they're, they're putting coins in their jar for their trip to Paradise Falls. And it's, it just reminds you of what a fun film this was. And, but again, an odd movie as well. Some of the story choices were just so weird. Speaking of, of up, though, folks, when we get back from this commercial break, Drury and I are going to talk about this Pete Doctor movie and some of the weirder elements of it. What is it that, that strikes you about up? Initially, this one, this one was tough, right? Uh, from, from a yeah. marketing point of view and had kind of a, not a, a bad vibe necessarily, but it was a hard movie to describe or sell to people, wasn't it? Or? Yeah, I mean, this was really during the period where every Disney Pixar movie that came out, mm-hmm. everyone was like, this is going to be the one that, that mm-hmm. fails. And it mm-hmm. really was the like golden age of Pixar, as far as I'm concerned, between mm-hmm. Ratatouille, Wally, and Up. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that run of movies. is pretty unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, but every time they said, well, there's a rat in a the kitchen, they're not going to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a silent robot, you're not going to be able to sell it. And then mm-hmm. this one... The fact that it's about a a 90-year-old man and a Boy Scout, mm. they really didn't have a lot of merchandise out for up. Uh, it's still pretty hard to find stuff, but then, you know, you look at the Kevin plushes that just debuted at Animal Kingdom to accompany the Kevin mm-hmm. walk-around character, who we've already talked about, and it's, like, totally amazing. Mm-hmm. We have to see him the next time, or her, the next time we, we go down. But, you know, those are flying off the shelves. It's, mm. like, crazy that there is so much love for up. And one of the the ways that they were trying to get ahead of of everything was by showing about mm. I would say how how long was that footage? Do you think forty minutes maybe? Yeah, I mean well, they were on the they were in the jungle by the time the footage ended. So. No, no. In fact, I remember absolutely it ended at the point that that there's that thing that Carl does where he pulls the tennis ball off of the bottom of his cane and throws it, and Doug runs off, and he he's trying to drag the house and Russell away from both Kevin and Doug and eventually they collapse exhausted and they're sitting there quietly for a moment. And then the bird kind of leans into the frame and Doug comes in with the now wet tennis ball and drops it in Carl's lap. And that was literally where, you know, on that laugh, on that beat, the footage ended. But yeah, they ran, I gotta be 40 minutes of it. And this was at New York Comic Con and this was when when New York Comic Con was in October, right? I don't know when it was. I can't remember when it was back mm-hmm. then. I'm gonna have to look up when New York okay. Comic Con was in 2009, but it I was mean, really early. It was, and it, 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 again, it was in the Javits Center, which is, uh, I, I think you and I agree, the worst convention center in the history of man. Let me just do. Let me just do the calculations. Yep. Yeah, that checks <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> So it was in February, and the movie didn't come out until June. There we go. So now, we now go. it's in October. So anyway, mm-hmm. just to, to put Well, in. I got to see the movie about a month early because Pete's mother evidently lives in Connecticut, and as a fundraiser for the library there, he brought the movie. And it, I mean, was, it was, that, was that in, like, New Haven I want to say yes. I want to okay, say yes. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. One of these things where it was, was literally in the equivalent of going to watch the movie in his rec room, you know, because it was, you know, that small a space. And having seen 
the first 40 minutes, I had to see how it ended because it was like, where the hell does this movie go? Pixar villains kind of have a hard go of it. That seems to be a real sticking point for a lot Mm -hmm. of these movies. But, you know, at one point he was after the bird because the bird laid eggs that would keep him perpetually young. Mm hmm. And that is the reason why he's still alive. I mean, there's literally no reason he should still be alive Mm -hmm. in the jungle after all these years. If Carl is 90, you know, that puts him at 140 or 135, you know? So that was one of the the story elements. And and there's actually a special feature on the Blu-ray. I'm not sure where you go Mm -hmm. to see it, but you can click on it and it'll show you all these different versions of months and different motivations for months Mm -hmm. that he went through, you know, during the development process of the Mm -hmm. movie. Wow, I never picked up on that. God, this brings to mind, you know, months the villain eventually dies by, you know, falling. She's trying to get from Carl's house to the airship and slips and falls. And But Mike Mignola, the artist, uh, you know, behind the Hellboy series and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, of course, also did a lot of early developmental work on Atlantis, The Lost Expedition. But he was talking about how he was surprised when they were working on this film that there was literally somebody at Disney Animation who was in charge of villain deaths. Oh yes, I told you this story. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, that was for that was for Atlantis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and how many of them fall to their death? I know. So lame. Yeah. I mean, so it's lame. Just, but at the same time, it's got to be a clean death because it's a family film, and so. But it's like Clayton in Tarzan, he falls and he hangs himself. and That one's pretty cool. That's a pretty good, that's well, a pretty graphic death. Well, I have to admit, it's a brilliant choice to do that in shadow that, you know, you see Tarzan's reaction, you get the lightning flash, it sells that, you know, he's accidentally, you know, hung himself. And I mean, that's a wonderful way to be graphic and yet subtle. But yeah, with Gaston. Uh, in fact, I, re- I remember talking once with Richard White, the, the gentleman who, who voiced Gaston for the movie. And he's like, oh, no, no, he's alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he fell. Living out his days in the south of France. Yeah. There's a river. You know, he landed. Yes. He, he's fine. He's learned his lesson. But on and on and on, it's people falling. And, and when you think about, with Up, about how much of this movie, how they were able to do these sort of wonderful left-handed flying sequences. But at the same time, we're able to throw in a couple of scenes that really, you know, you're high up in the air, there's weather, there's peril here. And and wander back and forth between the magic and the majesty of being up in the sky and the, this is a dangerous place. I mean, that's a really hard balance to pull off and i i think doctor and and the story crew there did did an amazing job yeah it's an it's one of my favorite pixar movies i don't know how you feel about it but it's one of those ones where if i'm clicking away and I, i'm going by freeform and it's on it's like oh, well here's another hour and a half of my life gone right i know what's going to happen but it's it's the same time there were so many things in this that I love, whether it's the battle between the geriatrics, where, you know, at one point, both Carl and, and Muntz throw their back out in the middle of the brawl, or the little subtle stuff. I mean, I love that gag at the end where it's Carl and Russell outside of the ice cream place, and they're playing the car game, and and Doug chimes in, you know, red car, you know, blue car, and there's a gray car. Because, of course, yeah. dogs can't see color. I mean, 
<laughs> and as an and as an animation fan, I mean, I love that the movie is dedicated to Frank and Ollie and Joe Grant yeah. because I guess a lot of the relationship, you know, the kind of like. Carl relationship was based on those old guys and Pete Doctor, and they all died before the movie came out. Sadly, yeah. but speaking of of which, though that that's kind of an interesting point you bring up. That I guess there was an iteration of Toy Story Four, where at one point the owner of the antique shop where a lot of the film is set was supposed to have a hub husband, and the husband was was supposed to be modeled after Ollie Johnston. They've got a, a great piece of concept art from the film. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But again, you know, as with all animation, it's like, that's wonderful. That's a great idea. That means we have to build another rig. That means more money. We're not doing it. Right. Now, I forget. They always say every Pixar film has an artistic challenge. The, you know, there's something they, they do with the tech. Was it, I, I want to say this time around, it was the translucence of... The balloons? Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, because there's that great scene where the little girl's in her apartment and the house floats by, and for one moment the room is sort of filled with the colors that's coming through, the sunlight coming through the balloons into the room. Oh, yeah, that's an amazing, that's an Mm -hmm. amazing moment. Is there anything else that leaps out at you about this one, or...? I like hearing about all the versions that that didn't make it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you brought up a great kind of soundbite from doctor about where this movie started out Mm -hmm. which is insane (laughs) (laughs) well well, yeah okay all right again this is the 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 quote that this one actually started out from a story about two princesses who lived in a floating city on an alien planet and as we developed it it was interesting at first and then it went to a weird place like who do i identify with here I, i don't understand after a while, I realized, okay, we're getting nowhere, and i got to find something that people can relate to and stripped it away to all of those elements. And But he, here's Doctor talking, and it's like, no, wait a minute. If we're not doing a floating city, what if we make a floating house? And maybe it shouldn't be floating. Maybe maybe they're using balloons. And so they, they went with that visual, and it was really interesting, and I couldn't get it out of my head. So we worked backwards from there. And in fact, that's also how they found Carl. Evidently, while they were working on the house by balloons thing, it's like, well, who are they buying the balloons from mm-hmm. to float the house? And one of the artists drew this really grumpy old man, but he's holding a bunch of balloons with a smiling face. And it was like, you know, they'd have smiling faces on them. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And the complete randomness of the process. I mean, that's where Carl came from. One gag drawing Mm -hmm. pinned to a board, you know, that was supposed to key off of, okay, so it's a house held up by balloons and where do they get the balloon from? And there we are. Yeah, and, and uh, in the version with the two brothers, the mm. princes, the yeah. bird character, for some reason they couldn't understand each other, and the mm. bird character was like a translator for them. So it's oh. interesting that that bird, the oh. bird stayed longer than almost anything else, which is kind of interesting. Wow. And, you know, I think this is like a testament to Pete Doctor totally willing to, like, go with the flow. Mm-hmm. You hear about how Stanton is very structure-oriented and narrative-oriented, and mm. Pete just kind of like finds the story as he goes and is very kind of like more loose in that way. And I think that's a really admirable quality to have, especially when you're trying to put one of these animated movies together. I agree. But on the other hand, how would you like to be Jonas Rivera? 
Okay. <laughs> I know you were there for the Inside Out junket. Oh, yeah. Where they were telling the story about how, what, for how long were the main characters of the movie Joy and Fear? Yeah. Pete was telling the story, I guess it was Mother's Day 2008. He went out for a hike, and as he's hiking, he realizes, oh, crap, the opposite of joy isn't fear. The opposite of joy is sadness. And he finished the hike, drove home, and called Jonas and said, well, I, I have good news. I figured out how, you know, what our movie's about. And it's like, well, gee, Pete, that's great. We're, we're three years in. What is the movie about? And it gets, well, it's about joy and sadness. And, and Jonas, you know, just kind of blinked and like, all right, okay. Okay, you know, we can fix the movie. We still have to make our release date in 18 months, but... Right. They pulled it off. They, they pulled did. it off. They did. They did. Supposedly, one of the release dates that Pixar has grabbed might be Pete Doctor's I movie? hope it is. I mean, I, I've, you know, I think we've both heard that he's been working on something, and mm -hmm. if it's going to be the June next year, mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get an announcement sooner rather than later, but... It's too long between Pete Doctor movies. I mean, it and is. Inside Out wasn't that long ago, but it's still, he's yeah. such an amazing force mm -hmm. of nature. And I just hope that his administrative duties now are not taking him away from mm. filmmaking completely. Although, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and that's a great note to end on. So, folks, we'll be back in a, in a week's time with a new show. But... But until then, Drew, if, if they, they, they want more Drew Taylor goodness, and who doesn't want more Drew Taylor goodness? Well, you know. yeah, I mean, how you can't get enough of this, obviously, but you could go, you could listen to Light the Fuse, uh, mm -hmm. the Mission Impossible podcast. As of this airing, we've just started our two-parter with Barney Berman, mm -hmm. who did the makeup effects for three and also did the Les Grossman uh, makeup effects for Tropic Thunder on Tom Cruise. Do you remember that character? Oh, my, the... really? Holy. Yeah, so we got some really good stories about how that how that worked. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, so that's that's really great. And um, we have a really big Oscar-winning force of nature that's going to come on the show in, in a few weeks as well. Okay. And also, I was on Dan's show. I don't know if you listened to that episode, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm actually saving that for the car. I've got, okay, I, I, I've got a long drive I've got to do, and Dan thoroughly enjoyed having the. You should probably plan on Dan inviting you back. You know, okay, just, good, good. Okay, it was good. great fun. All right. Oh uh, well, on right, my side of the fence, we've got Disney Dish with Lentesta. Uh, we have looking at Lucasfilm. Uh, we have Marvel Us Disney. Uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and we have I Want That with uh, Michelle Valladolid. If you get head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show, that would be great. If you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, if you go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, we'd appreciate that as well. Thanks for listening, folks, and Drew and I will be back with a new show very soon. Uh, till then, take care. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.